So this is kind of, it can be a hard subject, but since we serve um, an amazing, loving God, nothing, if we are devoted to him, needs to be hard because everything that God does and says is out of grace and love. So, um, the subject is idols. Um, so, as we come close to the Lenten season, it's a good time for all of us to take stock of the condition of our hearts. Maybe we should see it as like a spring cleaning of our spirits. Um, even the word Lenten can set some people off. That's not us. Um, but, but there are seasons that we're given to remind us because we're human and we forget. Please come. God says, please come. Please come. It's time for a spring cleaning. Okay? Always set in love and grace. So uh, the first reading I'm going to share is... Um, John chapter 2, 13 through 17. Okay. The Jewish Passover was near, and so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and he also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house will consume me. God is not willing to let us stay where we are um, in the nice fluffy place. That, Although that's good and wonderful, there's a journey to take and, it, and it's a journey that's always um, releasing, releasing, you know, the possessions, the wrong ideas, all that, um, into more holiness or sanctity. Um, so what made Jesus so upset? It was expressly forbidden for the Jews to worship idols. In this account, did Jesus see this display and did it remind him of what the kings did in the Old Testament? In 2 Kings chapter 21, so I'm, I'm giving you two comparisons here. King Manasseh set up idols in the temple, one being the Asherah pole. He set up two, alt two altars outside in the courtyard of the temple to worship all the stars. He sacrificed his son in the fire, practiced witchcraft, divination, and consulted mediums and spiritualists. He is known as one of the most evil kings of Judah. God will not tolerate idols in his temple. He alone is worthy to be praised. Now, I never 
paid too much attention to idols because I thought, you know, a strange figure, you know, doing all these things, you know, maybe uneducated, illiterate people. So I never really, yeah, I don't have idols. Nope, not me. Um, but let's look at the definition and see what idols might look like in our lives. So the first definition from the dictionary is an image or representation of a god used as an object of worship. The first definition is mainly about creating and worshiping a graven image. Um, this is more simple than some of the other definitions. So maybe the question is, do I have to have an image in front of me to pray? Just a question. The second definition is a little more involved. A person or thing greatly loved and admired in excess. So maybe these are our questions for that. Do we put our life's effort into attaining things? Houses, clothes, jewelry, boats, etc. the quote-unquote finer things in life? Do we put people, our children, um, is that our idol? Are we helicopter parents? Are we involved with scheduling every single moment of their lives, thereby they are living to please our wants and needs and not helping them discover who they are and God's purposes for them? Our spouse, do we live our lives fretting whether or not we are pleasing them more than God? Is our relationship with our spouse creating dysfunction because they have indeed become our idol? Ministers, people in leadership over us. I'll read a scripture for this one. This is my husband talking. 1 Corinthians 1, 11 through 13. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there is a rivalry among you. What, am I say what I am saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or, hey, I got it over you guys, I belong to Christ, which is that bad. But, Paul says, is Christ divided? Was uh, Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in Paul's name? Okay, so we, maybe not, you know, with any bad intent, but maybe we've put pastors and evangelists and teachers of the word on a pedestal. They can only fall when we do that. We can put music groups, actors, or sports teams in too high a place. They will fall. They are only human. The third definition is where I really think the Holy Spirit wants us to examine. The third definition of idol is a false notion or idea that causes errors in thinking or reasoning. Wow, that takes some deep thought, really. Um, Colossians 2.8, 
This, this is from the Amplified Version. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, suedo intellectual babble. I like that. According to the tradition and musings of mere men, following the elementary principles of this world rather than following the truth, the teachings of Christ. So there have been ways in which we may have been raised that have instilled fallacies in our beliefs and in our thinking. We may have been taught to stay away from certain people because of their race, their economic situation, their political leanings, the Christian denomination that they are part of. Maybe you were told that, hey, stay away from them. They've got a lot of problems. Maybe, but maybe it's time to get on your knees, right? Um, these beliefs may have been built up into an idol in our temple because they actually are what our um, impetus is. The, these things are, if not dealt with, will separate us from Christ and from the body. And man's ego is the desire to be the best and know it all. If we resist the pulling of the Holy Spirit to receive the salvation of God through Jesus Christ, we will create our own theology. One that promotes man and not God. Really, the only way to recognize falsehood and see clearly is to be intimate with the Holy Spirit. Learning script scriptures tempered by the fruit of the Spirit. That, that's our path. Now this is an instantaneous, right? So that's why the relationship that develops with God, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit is vital. It is your lifeline, you will die without it. Um, so one thing that I'm gonna kinda go out on a limb and say is that unresolved sin in our lives will become an idol in some way or other because it will lead you away from God. Um, 1 Corinthians 6 and 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? This is the temple we're dealing with, right? Who is in you, whom you have received from God, this is going to be rather short <laughs> sermon but I'm leaving you with a lot of questions so is there anything pulling us is there anything that well maybe we should spend time with God but I've got this over here is it your husband your wife your kids you know your um, tasks the things that you need to do Maybe it's entertainment, right? Many idols start as... I'm like, huh? So in closing, what do we do if we see that maybe we have an idol? An area that needs to be addressed. Or maybe you think, no, 
I don't have any idols. I'm good. Just know, and I'm going to repeat this, that any resolved sin may very well become an idol. Many idols start as a work of the flesh. Addictions, addictions start in this fashion. Alcoholism, drug addiction, sex addiction, food addiction, gaming addiction, etc. Just insert something that you can't live without. Um, all of it starts small, right? That first temptation, no, it's not so bad. But if it starts small, it can imprison us the more we indulge. I know this. I had an idol, a big, big fat idol called alcoholism. And I was delivered from it, thank God. Um, and the 17th was three years. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. He did it. Um, so all of it starts small but can imprison us the more we indulge. The good news is we have a glorious God who sets the captives free. Amen. He is a loving, forgiving God who restores our souls. No other idol can say that. No other idol gives life and forgiveness. It was always demanding Holy moly, you know, sacrificing your children in the fire? You know, all those gods, they demand everything of you, and they will take your life. So why not give your life to Jesus Christ and live? Galatians 5, 16 through 26. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish you can't say no and I know in addiction it's very hard but at least the spirit in my case was renewing 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 and getting me to that place um, but if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law now the works of the flesh are evident. I mean, the Holy Spirit is good at pointing things out, right? And it's in love and grace. I just can't emphasize that enough. You do not need to feel guilty. You may need to repent and turn around. But, you know, guilt is going to keep you away. I guarantee it. <sighs> the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. I mean, and that means that Paul could have been, go <laughs> been going on on this. You know, he had more to say, but and the like he, satis he was satisfied with. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice in such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's 
have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Right here I want to say that sanctification is a process. You know, turning it over is a process. I think Jesus knew that if, <laughs> if we were turned just like that, we would probably die. We wouldn't be able to access it. We wouldn't be able to, to let it sit. But things are done in an orderly manner as only the Holy Spirit can do in the perfect time. So, yes. First John 1, 5-7. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. Um, as I was preparing for this, uh, one of the things I saw, and it stayed with me, and it came at the last leadership meeting was, you know, like a, like a submarine. It almost looked like the yellow submarine. It was, <laughs> it was going deep and deep, and it had that spotlight, and going deep into places that have never been explored. So it's kind of like that with our hearts. The Holy Spirit is the light. He's, he, God loves us too much to let us stay where we are. And that's, that's the end of the story, right? So the Holy Spirit wants to go deep in us. He wants to reveal things. And again, not for condemnation, not for guilt, but for cleansing, for holiness. Why is this so important? Because if we have a dim light, you know, we're supposed to be the light on the hill. If it's a dim light, who's going to see it? Um, if the water is muddy, it's not clear. Again, who's going to see the beauty under the water? So, yeah, you know, God's calling us into a greater walk. And maybe this is meat for us. Maybe we need to take this very seriously and, and say, God, you know, shine your light on me. Open, open up, wide, open your heart so that Jesus Christ can cleanse us from all sin, right? First John 1 John 1.9 says if we confess our sins, what? What happens? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think that's enough <laughs> to eat. <laughs> um, but I, I do want to just share through this what God's doing in me. So in preparing for this, okay, God, I'll bite. What's my idol? was very unexpected. My idol is insecurity and fear. When you said lioness, it's like, 
well that may be how God sees me but that's very far from reality the struggle I had I asked everybody are you sure you don't have anything you, 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 that I should not be giving this sermon trust you know God had said trust me because he was setting this up big time through Josh's sermon and Luke's sermon it was like everything that I was going to talk about identity you know our identity is in Christ it is not in outside things but our identity and Luke's oh, his sermon was wonderful he gave us all the the identity traits that God sees in us right so you know we're the bride of Christ we are his love we are his the apple of his eye and and all that the Holy Spirit you know the fruits of the Spirit that's that's our identity so um, I wanted communion to be at the end so that we could maybe look at some of these and see what do we need to lay on the table what do we need to put under the blood of the lamb what do we need to eat so father oh, the gift of your son and what it cost you <sighs> there are no words we can't do anything to deserve it we can't do anything really to pay you back so with grateful hearts we accept we accept Jesus as our Savior our Lord our God our friend our companion Holy Spirit dwell among us teach us speak in our ear today encourage us encourage us with truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Um, knowing that you were going to be speaking on idols and knowing that we had communion at the end, I, I had a little bit of time. <laughs> um, I, I think a lot of y'all know that I, we were in Georgia for a, a funeral. Um, I'm so grateful that we have leadership that can step up and take care of so many things. Um, but I was thinking about this, right? Idols we have to protect them <laughs> and you feel that protective nature you feel threatened and compare that to communion which is God bleeding for you <laughs> not even protecting himself an idol which, which you know is, is, is something you have to keep away and you keep on a shelf and it might get stolen from you and it, it's these things that you know when they're threatened and you know I, I can't let this go meanwhile Jesus puts his son in a vulnerable place and gifts it out. It, it is the antithesis to an idol. It, it is the absolute opposite. What our living God has given us could not be further away from these idols that we know. And all the times that we think that we are the defenders of the faith, every time that we think that it is our gospel, we can realize that there is an idol in play. Every time we think that this is a goodness that, that is threatening me, every time that I feel that this is in my flesh, let's look at how Christ did this. And I was humbled by that. I, I was really struck by that idea that, that idols 
are just as relevant, if not more relevant now. I think they've gone insidious. I think that they've gone internal. I think that they've, when, when, when Anne was telling me about our, our children and our spouses and our jobs and our careers, and I felt the conviction the Lord begin to speak. And, and I, I knew my Lord bled and died. An idol can't do that. <laughs> Just give it a moment. 